From the podcasting studio in the Reynolds School of Journalism, this is Residual Culture. A media mixtape. I'm Joey Lovato. And I'm Ben Birkenbein. And this is episode two. We made it. Episode, it is episode two. Yeah. How do you feel about our new tagline, our new motto, a media <laughs> mixtape? Uh, it's better than uh, a podcast about media. I think that's, that's just true. too general. <laughs> I think the mixtape is kind of nice because it conjures up images of, you know, 1990s sort of uh, pre-file sharing, file sharing, where yeah. you actually shared you artifacts share, yeah. of media. I like yeah. it. Um, should, we just, should we just get going? I guess let's, we'll get go- let's get going. So I, right. asked, I think we ended last time, uh, I asked you to watch They Live. And you have some thoughts. Yeah, I watched it. That look on your face uh, is telling. Let's uh, just say that. I thought it would take a few movies, a uh, few recommendations from you before I found one that I didn't like. Took two. <laughs> uh, this movie's bad, Ben. This movie is not bad, and you are wrong, sir. No, okay. So here's <laughs> here's why it's not a good movie. Um, when was the last time you watched this movie? Uh, actually, it wasn't that long ago, but I would still say it's been, I mean, it's certainly been five years. Yeah, it's it's bad. Um, it okay. There is a fight scene in this movie that lasts for like almost ten minutes. Okay, wait. Uh, not not joking. Hold on. Now hold on. I know you're gonna get into the fight scene, but maybe before we do that, we should just explain to the viewers or <laughs> I listeners. Don't even want to. <laughs> like, okay. What what is the overall okay. purpose? Like, what's the okay, overall? Okay, so movie? this movie is about a dude. He is on the wrong side of the tracks, literally on the wrong side of the tracks at the beginning of the movie. Um, uh, <laughs> and he's like in the. It's kind of this like quasi dystopian or not dystopian but like future world but not really it's pretty darn close to like modern day LA um and then like he puts on some sunglasses like halfway through the movie and then he realizes that uh everyone on earth is being controlled by aliens and when he look at like he when he looks at a uh like a magazine like when he puts the sunglasses on it just says like obey or like reproduce and spend money but then when he puts takes the sunglasses off it's just like an article so right. it's all like subliminal messaging. It's the man. It's like Big Brother, right? So Except at, it's not as good as 1984 at, at all. Okay, well, <laughs> as you were explaining that, before your last little sentiment there, I was just getting really excited about how, how good this movie actually is. No. And you're reminding me of all the epic parts. I also think, though, that you, you, you brushed over some very important details early on in the movie. You, you totally missed the character development. Uh, what character place. development? There's no character development in this movie at all. <laughs> Oh, there's character development. <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> what character development? Please elaborate. So what is his profession? What is our main character's profession? Uh, well, he was homeless, and then he became a construction worker. Construction worker. Homeless, gets a job working construction, right? And then while on the job one day, I believe it was during a break or something, starts to notice some mysterious activities taking place at kind the, of at a compound, a little- a church. It is the ch- it's, it's a, a church? church. Okay. Yeah. At a church across the way. Yes. Seeing some people loading in boxes, unloading things like I what guess we should have uh, I guess we should have like prefaced this with uh, saying spoilers, but whatever. No one's gonna watch this movie. Hey, if you're a if you're a dedicated listener of this podcast, like many of our listeners are, you know, you can know that we're gonna talk about the recommendation to begin each each episode. Yeah, come on. Episode two, you gotta know this already. So yeah, we're not I mean this still isn't giving anything away. This is still just setting the scene. Okay, yeah. I mean, anyway, we, we don't anyway. have to talk about the conclusion resolution or whatever, but... We will. Um, but, okay. So there's a church. There's a compound. He uh, he trips over some metal and, like, breaks the wall and, like, finds sunglasses in there. Uh, yeah, that's what happened. What luck. I, crazy, right? I mean, you know. Oh, this... and Okay. <laughs> I don't want to go through the details of the movie in too much depth just because I don't think it's worth it. Um, <laughs> but let me just say, like... 
the, every scene in this movie is so long. It is. I will. I'll give you that. Like it, it's not even the movie is long because it's not. But like, there's like five scenes in this movie. There are like, and they're all like 15 minutes. And like, there's, I'm like, what is going on here? It's a bit of an exaggeration, but the, yeah, you're right. There are longer scenes that do take place. I, I mean. Yeah, and there's almost no character development. You know, I could play the curmudgeonly old man who says, like, you kids these days and all your fast cuts in movies. I mean, you could, but also I don't mind movies with slow cuts. Uh, One of my favorite movies, uh, or, like, one of my favorite directors is uh, Tarantino, who, like, has a lot of slow moments in his movies. Have you seen Inglorious Bastards? Like, the first 20 minutes of that movie is just the guy, like, interviewing Jews. Uh, I have seen that, yes. It's a good movie. It is. Uh, we, so, could, we could we could talk about Tarantino movies too, <laughs> next the way. week or well in a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, this movie just it, it has really long drawn out scenes that don't need to be that long. Um, the there's almost no character development. The dialogue is False. the dialogue is god awful. Epic. Okay, there the only the only reason I would recommend this movie is for the meme value of the line. Uh, I came here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And you know what? I didn't even know that, that was... I'm amazed that that like, famous saying is from this terrible movie. <laughs> but So this, this also further reinforces my point of why They Live is so good. And it's specifically because there are elements from culture that you don't even realize trace back to this film. But it does, right? The whole obey thing, right? <laughs> okay. All Directly right. from all this. So... Uh, all of that stuff, that line that you mentioned, um, even just like the, the the quick little insults like you, you're ugly. Right. <laughs> yeah. There was I think one of the worst lines was uh, the guy's like, uh, I like to I like to drive the white line down the middle. And he goes, well, the white line's on the middle of the road and you don't that's the worst place to drive. And I'm like, what? It's so stupid. <laughs> it was like so poorly written. Um, I, it was the action was bad. Was so good. Bad. So good. No, because the last movie recommended had good action, Ben. This movie doesn't have good action in it. It like cuts to like the tip of a gun and like some like it like shaking and then like all of a sudden some dudes fall over. <laughs> you can't tell me I'm wrong. All right, now now and he you also know. he shoots the machine gun with infinite ammo by just like he has it in his hands. I wish I wish there was a video component to this episode. Soon, I promise, audience. Soon we will have a video component. But he's just moving his arms wildly as fast as he can. And it's just like everyone in front of him just falls over. Hey, man, this is the 80s, okay? Guns had unlimited ammo. You know what else and is in the 80s? Like... Hard-boiled. Last week's great movie. Exactly, yeah, but a totally different context, right? There we're talking about Hong Kong cinema. With it's, all, it's a whole different sort of culture <laughs> of ta- film there, production. There we're talking about good movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, it, I don't know. It, I understand, like, it has some interesting points that it's trying to hit on. I really, I get that. It really does try to hit on some interesting points. Does it succeed in that? No. <laughs> it doesn't. Let, let me ask you because this. Because it's poorly paced. It's it's very poorly paced. It's very poorly acted. The action is absurd and ridiculous, and the scenes drag out. The ones that should be interesting aren't because they just keep going, and you just don't want to watch it anymore. Let me ask you this. You sound a little worked up right now. I'm a little so worked let, up. Let me just ask I'll, you. I, I, let me I just have a down. sobering moment here. All right, all right. Did you find yourself laughing at any point throughout the film? Um. Okay, so the first, like, 20 minutes I was laughing, and the kick ass and chew bubble gum line I laughed and that was really it though I, I the rest of them um 
at the end of the movie, he like shoots somebody and they die in a really funny way. Um, that was really funny to me. But honestly, no, I didn't. I didn't even find the movie that funny. I was just like, I have to watch this and I want to go to bed. Well, I do. Th- <laughs> this I just keep coming back for more recommendations, Joey. I've got plenty of them. Uh, I do think that we could potentially uh, engage in a conversation about when a bad movie is truly bad versus when a bad movie is good. Because I, I agree. There are bad movies that are bad and uh, are, okay. So you're acknowledging in your eyes that this is a bad movie that is good. Technically speaking, yes, perhaps. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm willing to admit that there are definitely some things that are not excellent about the film. However, uh, I would also say that the big payoff, right? Uh, even if, before he, is it the I reveal think, I think, of the aliens' faces? It, yeah, I think the big <laughs> reveal is the sunglasses scene. Yeah, I, right? and that is honestly the best scene in the movie. It is. And guess how? Guess what? goes on too long. That, that doesn't go on too long. No. Yeah, it does. I don't think that does. <laughs> the wrestling scene where he tries to get his coworker to put on the sunglasses, now that is a long scene. It was 10 minutes. But now- It cons- was 10. One thirteenth of this movie was one scene of two guys punching each other over. And it was like watching them hold each other by their collar and then just punch and then the other guy punches. Just back and forth. For 10 minutes. Oh, it's so good. No, it's not. All right. Now, here's the thing. Um, so you realize who this main character is, correct? Do you know his name? No. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, yeah. The wrestler. From he was a professional 80s. wrestler yes. from the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, which was a big part of my childhood as well. I remember growing up watching Saturday morning wrestling WWF with my cousins and stuff at my grandmother's house. Uh, we would have like little kind of fake wrestling matches and, and that sort of thing, like out in the yard uh, and doing all that. And Rowdy Roddy Piper was one of them. He then transitioned into a kind of a film career, as well as other wrestlers from that period too, by the way. Uh, Hulk Hogan was in a, uh, a movie called No Holds Barred. And that was one of the first appearances of this kind of villainous uh, wrestler called Zeus. Who's, <laughs> that's also a bad movie. I, w- I might even have to revisit that just for my own pleasure, just to kind of I, remember that film. Please make your next recommendation good. But here's the thing. about the re- So that's the reason they felt, I don't know wh- why, but they felt perhaps compelled to put a gratuitous wrestling scene yeah, yeah. In, in the film because they're like, oh, audiences are going to come see this movie because Rowdy Roddy Piper... And they want to see him wrestle dudes yeah. in an abandoned alley. and But the reason for him wrestling, it's this guy, is guy ridiculous. To, it's to get someone to put on sunglasses. So he's trying to get his coworker to put on the sunglasses to see what he has seen, to become a, a seer or a, whatever, yeah. a seer. Um, and the guy's refusing. He's like, hey, man, I'm not going to put on these sunglasses because you tell me, right? And he's then- like- Put them on, dude. And it kind of escalates from there. And then it it spirals out of control, not even out of control, just kind of out of nowhere into like, you're right. I think it's a seven and a half, eight minute scene just of these guys wrestling. No, like, okay. So I watched this with my girlfriend. She went to the bathroom, went and got like food and came back and it was still going. And she was like, what's the scene still going? Did you pause it? No, it's just still going. And your response would have just been, you're welcome. Uh, maybe from you, but um, I think we've both voiced our opinions on this movie. Uh, you can make a decision for yourself or you can avoid watching a movie that I don't like. Can I just say before we end the conversation that I think that there's also a bigger like class element to this whole film, which uh, is, yes. which is uh, the like kind I of said, the meaning thing, right? It does try to hit on some important things, but I don't think it's 
does it well. And I also have to say that the reason that I show the the sunglasses scene in some of my courses is to try to get people to see behind what they're being fed, right? And that's a good, I think that's a good analogy. I would agree with that. And it's it's just kind of fun because I, I will make the joke that I think in this class, right, if it's a, some sort of media literacy class or something, our goal is to put on the sunglasses of truth, <laughs> right? And try to see behind what's the, what's the messages? What are you being oh, urged man. to do and in which ways, right? I like it. You can I become like a more critical consumer of media that way. I like it. You know what? Put on the sunglasses, everybody. Otherwise, we're going to have to fight you for 10 minutes. Um, well, I think we're going to now make a big shift here to our main topic of the day. A big old shift. It's a big shift. Yeah. Wes Anderson. Today we're going to be talking about Wes Anderson films. Uh, I believe did we mention this during the last episode? We, we said, did. Yeah. All right. What we're going to do next week is we're going to we're going to try to rank order. Yes. We've each come prepared today with uh, <laughs> we did come more a notepad, uh, notes on his films. Yeah. And uh, I think what we're going to probably do is I think we should talk about the over like him as an overall director before we get into the movie specifically. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, Wes Anderson is one of my favorite directors. Um, and I, I understand why people don't necessarily like him. I, I, I get that. Um, if you don't know who S. Anderson is, uh, he's very, all of his movies feel like cartoons, but in real life. Um, his characters are like, nothing is realistic about his movies in any way. Yeah, I would say that in, in fact, his characters are in fact caricatures. Yeah, right? yeah, they're yeah just, they are. They're, they're exaggerated features, exaggerated whatever. Yeah. Um, and he does have kind of like a, how do you want to say it? I mean, it's certainly like a very like... Uh, it's very specific. If you, The second you see a Wes Anderson movie, you know it's a Wes Anderson movie. Right. Um, almost every shot is like very symmetrical. Like exact... Uh, he uses very bright pastel colors. Well, I guess pastels and bright are different. But he uses these like vibrant colors um, that really bring out um, like emotion. Like when someone gets sad, like it'll literally start raining on them and only them. Um, for example, uh, he, he is a visual storyteller extraordinaire in my opinion yeah and certainly I, I don't mean this as a as a critique but it's almost as if you know you would take like um a young child's like drawings right and yeah, then put them yeah. on screen no i i agree with you yeah um all of his characters are like depressed but like they're just being they're just like i am depressed i'm a character i'm depressed it's just very it's not like they don't there's no sh they don't actually look sad they're just like robots <laughs> Almost. It's very, but it, it, this doesn't, not, we're not doing him justice. No, I, I would say that I think because, um, because of the kind of like literary, uh, artistic themes that he's, are in there. He's really artsy. I think he's a little bit, I think that, and I mean, I'm, I'm putting myself in this category. People that are like, oh, Wes Anderson is great are a little pretentious. And I am definitely a little pretentious. Maybe. I mean, I certainly think that it appeals to a certain crowd more than others. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think one of the conversations we can have when we get into our lists here is to talk about which films were more effective at mm -hmm. that kind of craft than uh, than some of the others. Um, yeah. Do, so if you have seen Wes Anderson films, um, then this was a pointless couple minutes there. Right. But uh, you should know that, that, yeah, he is one of my favorite directors. And my actually, my favorite movie... If people ask me what my favorite movie is, I usually say The Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Um, depending on who asks me and depending, uh, the, the same as you, depending on who asks me and where, how I'm feeling, like it may change. But generally, Grand Budapest Hotel is my favorite movie. Um, I, I also recognize that objectively that's probably not his best movie, but it, for whatever reason, it really resonated with me and I really like that movie. Um, and so Wes Anderson is one of my favorite directors because of that. Um, 
last week we talked about one of our other favorite directors, the Coen Brothers. I guess there's two of them, but mm-hmm. um, so yeah. Why yeah. don't you give me your uh, Why don't you give me your list, Ben? Well, how about this? Should we just give in no particular order the films that we had to rank order? Yeah, right? because I, they're actually. I can... I can do them in uh, when they were released. Yeah, let's do a release order. So, so his first film was Bottle Rocket, mm-hmm. correct? And yeah. what, do you have the release date? I don't have the release no, date. No, I don't have me. the dates, okay. but I just know when. All right, and then Bottle Rocket was followed up by Rushmore. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to do this from memory, but I think then after Rushmore was the Royal Tenenbaums. Yep. And then after Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Yep. And now <laughs> I'm going to get uh, a little bit I'm tripped up here, but I believe the next one was... The Darjeeling Limited? Yep. Then Moonrise Kingdom? Fantastic Mr. Oh, Fox. Oh, fan- yes. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Then Moonrise Kingdom. Then Grand Budapest Hotel. And then next year, I, or I, no, this year, Isle of this Dogs. His is new movie. It, it, we haven't seen it yet. It hasn't come out. Yes. Um, okay. Do you want to give me your list first since we know what my number one is? You know what I think we should do maybe is we should do it in descending order. We can reveal maybe one at a time okay. and, have, and debate, you okay. know, what I we- think that his worst movie. Okay. Uh, which is still not a bad movie, but like I would say for him is his lowest tier movie is Fantastic Mr. Fox. You know what? That's amazing. I also have Fantastic Mr. Fox as my number 10 or whatever it is. Uh, number eight. eight. Yeah. Eight. So um, number eight. So why did you put it at the bottom? Um, It's not a bad movie. It starts out real strong. Uh, I think it introduces a lot of like character traits that it forgets to bring up again. Like the fox like does this like... Like this, like clicking noise, but oh, then, yeah. like after twenty minutes, he doesn't do it anymore, and then at the very end, he does it one more time, and you're like, "Oh, I forgot he did that." That's just a really minor gripe, but like it's it kind of is. It, it gives you an idea of the rest of the movie. Like it kind of knows where it's going at the beginning, and then totally falls apart. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and, and the other thing that I would put here is uh, I mentioned earlier that I think that one of the the hallmarks of Wes Anderson films is this kind of caricature of. Mm-hmm. We also should mention this is a animated. It's not. A, it's it's a. It's That's a, where I'm going. It's stop mo- stop yeah, motion. Stop motion. Exactly. That's where I'm going with this. And I think that, you know, certainly from like a production standpoint, it took probably a long time to make this film. Right. I mean, stop stop motion or stop animation, oh, yeah. uh, and it looks beautiful. Right. We should also say that it still looks really nice. But yeah. just from, you know, kind of a personal standpoint, I think that that hallmark of Wes Anderson, the idea that that there are these caricatures, right, that have exaggerated features. I think that works with greater effect when you're dealing with humans instead of... Dolls. They were like, they yeah. weren't, yeah, or like... Foxes, yeah, in this case. It was like a, it was like a doll of some sort, that, a stuffed fox that they would stop motion. Right, and in some way, I think the animation abstracts a little bit too much. Now, mm-hmm. with that being said, I also remember uh, that there were some really good, like, one-liners, like, kind of quips or, oh, like, yeah. comebacks oh, yeah. in this. Well, were... well, I mean, I think he's, like, the king of one-liners. Almost, like, all those movies have really quippy uh, dialogue. Yeah, quips and puns. Yeah. All sorts of literary devices for comedic effect yes yeah. yeah um no i mean there were definitely george clooney plays the fox uh and he does a really good job um but i just think it's it doesn't suffer from like bad dialogue or bad writing it's just i don't think the story was fully fleshed out yeah i guess and, and i think part of it too is it's actually a children's book and he was kind of beholden to the story of the book while still trying to put his own spin on it, and I don't think that the two meshed very well. It's an important point. Yes. And uh, I think that that's, that's something that all, you know, a- anybody who's going to make a movie based on some original source material, which we talked about last time too, right? Yeah. That I, I don't you have, have a problem separate them. separating them. But in this case, I also agree. It's not that he did it, uh, you know, uh, ineffectually or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think it was perfectly 
great and perfectly fine. It's just not my preferred Wes Anderson movie. No, it's just, now it's that, just his worst movie, but that's still a great movie. That <laughs> Now, that being said, I do know people that for them, this is their favorite. Right. They they really? love they love. I, I, in fact, one or two people, maybe maybe one person has said this to me that wow. they just loved that movie um, based on previous conversations. And great. You know, it's a matter of taste. That's why we have these discussions. And, you know, please let us know your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the next worst movie. OK. So, so not, not worse, but like his the next one on the tier. So since we both agreed there, let me just go ahead and I'm just going to say my number seven, because this is where I think we're going to have some debates. Yeah. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. So this is my favorite movie like of all time. Yeah. And now here's 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 the way that I approached my list. Let me just give you a little philosophy about this. I have divided mine into uh four groups of two. And I just felt like, okay, we could, you know, split hairs as to which one is better or worse. But I put the Grand Budapest Hotel here towards the bottom of my list. And maybe since you've already talked about why it was one of your favorite movies, I'll just say what I thought did not do it for me. Okay, yeah. Uh, I would say that, you know, so obviously this this story is about um, this gentleman who inherits, right, the the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, it's right? kind of a story within a story. Right. And so, um, you know, it focuses on this kind of wealthy individual. Um, for me, the story here was just the one that was not necessarily that appealing, that there was this kind of wealthy guy who inherits this hotel. And then there's this kind of like crime caper that uh, that that takes place within the hotel as well. Um, I know that he's touching on some issues of certainly class and race, but for me, I just felt like that's done better in some of his other films. Uh, so this one just didn't appeal to me in the same way that some of the others did, whether it be the story, the characters. Um, that being said, I do also recognize there are some great scenes, like this, oh, yeah. the skiing scene the is skiing kind of scene fun. Is great. Yeah. Um, the reason that I love that movie so much is because I think it does a really good job of um, showing... It does a really good job of showing like this rags to riches story because you you were saying that it's 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 a rich man that inherits it, which actually it's not. It's like a almost a homeless bellhop, uh, and then he ends up like growing and growing and ends up owning the hotel, which I think is a fun kind of twist on it. And I also just really like the way the story is told and the I love the ridiculous nature of like the upper class in this movie. They're all like, oh, you have to, you know, have the right perfume and there's this secret society of uh, concierges. Um, it's 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 really funny to me and it's really fun to watch like these different, like it's fun to watch this bellhop like infiltrate these, these uber rich, uber fancy people's lives in a way. And then his, his confidant, uh, the concierge, ends up going to jail and but he's like he's in jail but he still like has his perfume and still has to eat with like a fork and a knife on the left and the right it's this really funny i really enjoy that about it uh, so i i get that and i'm i'm all for i guess this is where i can split out the two things i'm all for the critique of uh kind of class and 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 uh um you know whatever else we want to say there about etiquette and everything else right but that's where I don't like the kind of rags to riches story because if I remember correctly, there's really no struggle, Mm-mm, right? No. Like he's just sort of inherits this thing, and I, I I'm yeah, like, yeah, he's just given for me. Hotel, you're right. And I may bring back my catchphrase here, but for me that has no heart, right? <laughs> like where's the struggle in all of that? I mean, granted, I can take the critique. It's sort of this way of like, um, you know, it's like uh, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, which is another film, which is more of an older one that you may want to check out. Um, and it's about that kind of satire of class and the kind of class system and, you know, this kind of crazy um, 
um, behaviors and, and expectations of, of the rich. But um, I just don't like the fact that there's no struggle there. And in fact, I will bring that point up again when we look at some of his other films. Okay, so you had that as your seventh. Yeah, what was your seventh? Um, so I actually started at seven because I have never seen the Darjeeling Limited. Uh, hmm. Yes, I've missed one of his movies, unfortunately. Um, okay. So I cannot rate that one because I've never seen it. Um, but my next one would be The Life Aquatic. Okay, interesting. Um, and I also think that this is a good movie, but it also suffers from being very convoluted. I think he tried to put too many stories into one movie. It just feels like kind of like he had a bunch of ideas and like a bunch of ideas for short films and they kind of all had like a similar theme and so he just made a movie out of it. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's my problem with that movie. Uh, I don't want to like spend a whole lot of time analyzing all of them because we only have so much time, but like, yeah. yeah, that it's a little convoluted in my opinion. Yeah, that's no problem. I have no problem there. Uh, <laughs> I do, uh, one of my former roommates actually, this was her favorite. Um, I know a lot of people. Just who, love this, this is their, This is their yeah. favorite movie. Um, it's very good looking. There is um, animation in this movie as well, which is really cool with the fish mm-hmm. um, because it's all about um, like, underwater explorers yeah yeah okay so what is your next one well actually it's a nice segue because mine is the life of aquatic with steve zisu also okay so number six for both of us is zisu yeah because i've skipped one (laughs) and i guess i would just say here that i think in part this is because well i may be giving way too much but i think towards you know further up my list i have the royal tenenbaums yeah and this was the follow-up to that yeah and it just didn't and i you know, it was it was very similar in some ways, like some of the stylistic things were the similar, but I just felt like, you know, when you compare them over the course of a career, it was just, for me, it was kind of a letdown, and I don't know that I ever got over that. Yeah. Okay. So number five. Number five, I have I, Rushmore. Oh, Moonrise Kingdom for me. Okay. Interesting. Um, And this was actually kind of heartbreaking to put Moonrise Kingdom that far down, because I adore that movie. That was the first Wes Anderson movie I saw, uh, and I absolutely love it. Um, it's about two children who fall in love on a funny little New England island and uh, and run away. Yeah, it's great. It's 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 a great movie. But I think that there are other movies that are just better than it. Um, yeah. and which is which I think is a testament to Wes Anderson's genius. Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, I would I, I think I put Rushmore here just because I think that Rushmore is to Wes Anderson films what Revolver is to Beatles albums. <laughs> right. I think you might need to elaborate a little bit because. Obviously, so so Revolver, some people love that album. It's actually my favorite Beatles album. But a lot of people point to Sgt. Pepper's, which mm-hmm. came right after Revolver. Yeah. And they kind of blossom into this new sort of totally different. new formation of the Beatles, right? Yeah. Rushmore is that movie for Wes Anderson because he's starting to play with some of these, these, these uh, kind of stylistic tropes that he'll use. Um, I just don't know that they're fully developed there. Some people love that. I mean, I, I also know friends that that Rushmore is their favorite movie, mm. right? Uh, or their favorite Wes Anderson movie because of that. And it's actually one of the reasons I like, coincidentally, Revolver because the Beatles are experimenting with different sounds, different things, letting Ringo write songs, which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> so they're doing that. And then eventually they get, you know, Sgt. Pepper's, which becomes very, of course, yeah. famous. So this was kind of his, it was pre him coming into his own. Yeah, I mean, certainly you can look back and find elements of everything. Yeah, but I think that, you know, certainly Bottle Rocket, which we'll talk about probably in a bit, um, that has very rudimentary forms of what we now know as Wes Anderson's kind of style. Yeah. Rushmore even more so, and then I think it fully blossoms later. At Tenenbaums, probably, yeah. yeah. Okay, so five for me was Moonrise, um, and I love it. I have nothing bad to say about that movie. I just, there are better movies that Wes Anderson has done. Okay, uh, four. What's your four? 
Well, it's interesting because mine's Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, okay. And I struggled here between Moonrise and my number three, but I would also just say that I, what I found really compelling about this movie is the kind of focus on like adolescent prepubescent sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's I, I don't it's, it's get, uncomfortable, but it's adorable. It's uncomfortable, but like <laughs> for everyone who grows up and certainly, you know, if you know kids that are growing up at that age, like you start to develop these kind of like feelings and exploration of like sexuality. But, but they're like 12 and they don't know exact, what they're doing. Exactly. <laughs> and I think, so with that being said, I do think that the kind of, whatever, the makeout scene on the beach, yeah, yeah. you know, was, I just, I think I smiled through the whole thing because yeah. it's like absurd and funny and awkward yeah. and everything else. Yeah. Puts on a killer soundtrack, like on a little Fisher Price portable record player, which I had one when I was a child <laughs> as well. Uh, puts it on and do, to like this French pop music and then they're dancing and... Uh, struggling through it. It's really funny. Yeah, it, I think it really captures that. Uh, my number four is Bottle Rocket. And I feel like this may be unfairly placed because I don't think I have seen Bottle Rocket in like eight or nine years. And I honestly don't remember it very well. But what I do remember from it, <laughs> I really liked. And so I am putting it there. It's pretty much in the middle. Um, it's just because I don't remember it, really. But I remember that I liked it. <laughs> Oh man, I, I really want to withhold my 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 comments because uh, I have a higher opinion. Yeah, I think, and of I Bottle think if I rewatch it, I probably would as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, we'll move on to three. Let's, I'm yeah. sure you'll get to your Bottle Rocket. Well, yeah. Let's just kind of cut it in the middle a little bit because at number three, I had the Darjeeling Limited. Okay, uh, which I haven't seen it. You have not seen, but I would say that that the the true strength of Darjeeling Limited, and I, I had to think about this one last night. I was thinking like where to place this one, right? Mm-hmm. I have kind of m- some mixed feelings uh, with some elements of Darjeeling the Darjeeling Limited, but I think that 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 what is really biting and nice about this movie is that it's almost like a satire of the kind of eat, pray, love, like spiritual <laughs> journey through India. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so they do focus on these, uh, what, three brothers that are traveling on a train through India on the Darjeeling Limited. And it's this, they play on themes of like family, but like also spirituality. Like they're trying to have these like spiritual awakenings, awakenings just by being in India, which is so absurd. (laughs) And all the, all the characters are struggling with this as they go through. Um, And I just, I just feel like if you see through that to kind of like the biting uh, criticism or commentary that it is on that. Uh, I think it's I think it's really really nice. Okay, uh, was that your number three? That was my number three, and I'll, I'll also just say um, we're getting into top I mean, three. We're getting into top three for sure. But I will I'm also, surprised that that was in your top three. I, I'll I me too actually. It surprised <laughs> me as well. But I also have such fond memories of that. I mean, all Wes Anderson soundtracks oh, yeah. are quite good, and you know, I think the Darjeeling Limited has one of those soundtracks that you know was an important soundtrack, I would say, in okay. my life at one point. Cool. Uh, my number three is the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh my gosh, we're uh, going to fight uh, right now. <laughs> and we know what my number one is. We do, yeah. So we I, do. I, I, and, and I also recognize that I think, I genuinely think that Royal Tenenbaums is probably objectively his best movie. I know there's that's not really fair, but like I, I personally... There are just two movies that I think are better than it. But Royal Tenenbaums is a masterpiece. And it is when he came into his own. And it is genius in every sense of the word. And the only reason that I have that I like the other two movies more are because I enjoy the characters and the stories a little bit more from a personal standpoint, not necessarily from like a movie review standpoint, which I am not trained in, in any way. 
So you're basically deferring to the experts if they were to believe yes. that The Royal Tenenbaums was his best objectively yes. sort of movie. Yeah, All right. quote unquote. Uh, can we just do your number two since we already know your number one? Yeah. All right. uh, Rushmore. Rushmore, okay. I love Rushmore. I think that that character is the funniest thing ever. He, he is, is. He is like genuinely one of the like the hardest times I've ever laughed at a movie as Rushmore. The main character of that movie is is so funny. Ma- to me. Max Fisher. I I think, I think so, his name yeah. is right. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. And so uh, Max Fisher is the kind of overachiever at but he's this academy. horrible at school, and he falls in love with his teacher, and it's so funny. Yeah, and there's this kind of like uh, bizarre love triangle, if yeah. you will, a little nod <laughs> with, to New with, Order with here. Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, with Bill Murray and the teacher, and uh, he's trying to pursue her. And uh, of course, he tries to like do some sort of sabotage mis- yeah. missions yeah. and things, which it's, is it's certainly very funny. Also, the ending of that movie, which I don't want to spoil, is so good. I don't know if you remember it or not. That's true. Do you remember it? I don't know if I can remember the full details. No. It's also been a while since I've seen Rushmore, to be honest with you. It's That character is just so funny. And that's why I, I put it above Tenenbaums. But again, Tenenbaums as a ensemble is just genius. Okay. But that character just, it kill, he kills me. He's the funniest thing probably I've ever seen in a film. Yeah, he is, he is quite funny. And there are great, I mean... You know, great moments in Rushmore, and and like we said earlier, he's really trying to start to kind of come yeah, into his own. Yeah, you see him coming right? into his own there. Yeah. Uh, okay, your number two. All right, my number two is Bottle Rocket. Uh, All right. And I would put it there only because it it also has a very special place, kind of in my uh, personal life. Like when I was first uh, introduced to Bottle Rocket, I remember uh, my neighbor who lived across the street. His he had an older brother. Right. Speaking of kind of like residual culture, he recommended the movie to. His younger brother, who was actually a little bit older than me, and um, so Dave, if you're listening, this was Dave's brother, Sean. Hey, Sean. Um, yeah, so Sean, I believe, had had recommended Bottle Rocket, and we watched this movie, and man, even when I go back now and I watch Bottle Rocket, I just kind of smile. I kind of have perma-smile the whole way through. <laughs> uh, it is, it's really nice. Um, some people have described this um, as Reservoir Geeks. Oh my god, that's a great description of it, yeah. Yeah, because the idea is that, um, you know, this kind of uh, band of rebels who gets put together uh, starts to do all sorts of petty crime to try to pay and get ahead in life, Um, but they kind of fail miserably at (laughs) at everything they do. Like, they try to hold up, like, a local library, is it? They're trying to, like, rob Uh, a library for cash. Um, That's right. And we begin the movie with... um, uh, (laughs) This guy breaking himself out. They're like conducting this breakout of this uh, mental institution, right? <laughs> but we find out later that, in fact, he, it was just a voluntary like self-check-in thing. And they're like, well, you know, so they, they like lower the, the, the knotted sheets out the window <laughs> to try to escape. Right. It's like, well, you know, you can just leave. Like there are people watching. This is kind of embarrassing for the, the organization. He's like, I know, but my, you know, my brother really wants me to, to do this. Like just let him have this, you know, breaks out and then tries to engage in all this kind of like petty crime. Um, there's an epic kind of another, another like compound infiltration at the end, which goes horribly wrong. Um, so I would say that that's all there. And then your number one is Rushmore. Oh not Rushmore. I'm so sorry. Royal Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums. I think that this movie is so rich with m- meaning and, and it, within the text itself. I mean, themes of family, themes of race, class, privilege. Parental expectations. Depression deals with depression a lot. Depression, and here's the thing that I think that 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 makes it really nice is that you have all these characters who are who we know, right, are conscious of like literary tropes because they're all very literary. They're supposed they're expected to like read things and you know be excellent students and everything else, and yet they make 
conscious decisions in their life that only reinforce kind of like melodrama. <laughs> yeah. Right? Everything becomes really melodramatic. But every, it's, every character in that movie is melodramatic to, ex- to the nth degree. Exactly. But, you know, and it, that's one of the reasons that it's it's all kind of there, right? Because you know they're conscious of it, but they make these choices anyways, and they go through all this kind of struggle. And, yeah, I just think that, and, of course, the ensemble cast is I mean, is Gwyneth Paltrow's character is so funny. Paltrow's character is great. I, I think all characters, Gene Hackman's as the kind of patriarch of the family yeah. is really good. Um, oh, my gosh. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, of course, yep, yep. And then, obviously, the Wilson brothers, two of them. Um, Yeah, no, it's a really good movie. And, uh, like I said, Budapest is my favorite movie. And it's funny because I really feel like I have no justification for why it is, but it just resonates with me in such a way that I just love it. Um, And that's why that's my number one. Which um, is fine. Which we've already discussed. And then I just, like I said, Rushmore, I think that the, the character is just one of the funniest things in film. He is a funny character. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that. Um, yeah, I think we've hit on Wes Anderson quite a bit. Uh, yeah. If you're listening, Wes, we love you. <laughs> we do. Yes, um, I would I would say. Yeah. I, I'll say that. I want to be some somewhat combative, but no, I, I do. I, I, yeah, I really um, and so now I think we're going to move on to uh, our emergent culture portion of the podcast where we watch a trailer. Yeah, cue the jingle. All right. We don't have a jingle. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, so we've just watched the trailer for The Isle of Dogs, Wes yeah. Anderson's upcoming film, 2018. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think, Joey? Uh, it's it's really interesting. It's not a direction I thought he would necessarily go in for his next movie, but uh, I'm excited. For, I mean, of course I'm excited for it, but uh, I, I don't know. It, I really don't know what to think about it. It's, it's got like heavy Japanese themes. It's, um, it's about dogs. Uh, that can talk, and it's <laughs> uh, it's a it's another um, stop motion one. Stop motion. I was just actually kind of wondering about that if it's actually stop motion or if there are actually if it's like or if it's animated somehow. I think it looks it, like it looks like a stop motion to me. Kind of puppets. Yeah, like puppeteered mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. So the idea is that it's this kind of uh, puppet puppets or puppet, you know puppet dogs. Puppet dogs. Yeah. Um, but I can see some cl- very clear themes oh, yeah. that are. Um, Highly relevant to, I would just say, the general uh, feelings of the time. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, our our the the theorists behind the namesake behind residual culture would also call this like a structure of feeling, perhaps. Yeah. And he would talk about the fact that there are a lot of movies now being made about environmental disasters or kind of these post-apocalyptic types of films. So in this one, it seems as though there's been some sort of fallout, and that all of the trash has been moved to this island, um, and canines, dogs, began to overrun society or whatever. So they shipped them all out to this Isle of Garbage, or now it's being known as the Isle of Dogs. And then some um, young person hijacks a plane and flies it to the Isle of Dogs in search of... His his dog. Yeah, in search of his dog on this island. Um, It looks like it's gonna, yeah. And he doesn't speak the language of the dogs. He speaks Japanese. Yeah, Japanese, yep. I'm, the only thing that I'm hesitant on, again, is the will his story come across as effectively using stop motion instead of humans. Yeah. Um, but the cast is crazy. I mean, Ed Norton, Bill Murray, which are, I think, Wes Anderson staples. But then you also have Brian Cranston, 
um, Jeff Goldblum, Scarlett Johansson, Greta Gerwig. Um, you got really big names. Um, yeah, another ensemble yeah. voice cast. Yoko Ono is in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. I didn't so, see that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what that's about. Yeah, I guess I have mixed feelings. I mean, obviously it has potential. Uh, yeah. I think that um, I think that you know any Wes Anderson movie, I, I'll probably see this movie, of course. Yeah, uh, I think. Well, I think we were talking about maybe um, maybe we'll just put it up on the website or on social media, but we'll go together to see it and then do sure. a, a quick little inter like post movie five minutes on my phone or something initial thoughts yeah initial thoughts on the movie yeah um, that'd be fun so keep an ear out for those maybe ben and i will go do, go see some movies together yeah cool yeah absolutely um, i don't know yeah so i'm gonna withhold judgment as of right now but yeah. i'm not i'm not incredibly excited i have to say really okay uh i am excited just because it's wes anderson but that is literally the only reason <laughs> sure um other than that it looks i'm intrigued but i'm not like i'm not totally sold either you're right Okay. Um, okay, so should we go on to recommendations? Let's do the recommendations, and I think we're going to turn the tables this week, correct? Yeah, I'm recommending um, a video game to you, actually, because next week we're going to move away from movies a little bit uh, onto different types of culture, because it is residual culture, not residual movies. <laughs> um, or I guess, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's... Yeah. Uh, but I'm, so I'm going to recommend a, a game that I've been playing called Hollow Knight. Uh, okay. It is an indie game. Um, it is, if you know anything about video games, it is reminiscent of, it's a Souls-like game, but with Metroidvania elements. Um, those are both very quippy video gamey terms, so if you don't know much about it, we'll explain that in the next episode, but it's a really good game. Um, I believe it's hand, it's like hand-painted, the whole game. It's really huh. pretty. It's a really good looking game. Um, so I've been playing it. Uh, it won't take you long to get into it and have enough time in the game to discuss it. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about video games next week. I think we're going to talk about your early time with Nintendo. Uh, a lot. I, I play a lot of video games. Uh, it's what I do to relax usually, other than watch movies. So yeah, I also still uh, enjoy playing a video game every now and then. I would call I would call myself a casual gamer yeah. at this point. Yeah. Uh, certainly, I'm not um, uh, not really into it, of course, because I don't have that much time anymore to mm-hmm. devote to. Yeah you know, hours of mastering whatever. But yeah, certainly, I think it'll be fun. We can talk a little bit about video games that were important for me growing up. And um, why, I think why video games are important. I think we can talk about video games as a whole and why they're engaging and why they're different than movies and why they're similar to movies. I agree. I agree. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been Residual Culture. Uh, thank you for listening to episode two. My name is Joey Lovato. And I'm Ben Birkenbein. Our music is a song by People With Bodies. Fantastic. So if you have thoughts on the podcast or if there's something you'd like to see represented here in the discussion, you can email us at a ridiculously long email called residualculturepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Residual Culture. Yes. Uh, Yeah, that's it. Thank you for listening. All right, thanks. Thanks.